So we're glad you guys are here. Hey, on, in the whole eight days till Christmas mode and, um, you know, getting amped up for it and anticipating all that kind of stuff, I want to ask you this question. What is, what's the gift that you have wanted more than anything else at Christmas? All right, now you don't have to throw out answers to me, but just kind of think about it. What is... What's that gift? Maybe it's something that you want this year. Maybe it's something that you wanted when you were a kid. Something that you, you wanted this thing or this gift more than anything else. And it was like all you thought about and you went you know, begging mom and dad. You promised that you would do anything and everything just if they would you know, buy this gift for you. Or you, know, you want it so bad. Maybe when you were a kid that you wrote 17 letters to Santa because you want to make sure you got it, or you visited Santa at every mall in a 30-mile radius of your house because you wanted to make sure that you got it. Or you, know, you were on your best behavior that year because you, were, you wanted to do anything possible to make sure that you got this thing that you really wanted. I mean, you were desperate for this, this thing, whatever it was. So what is that gift, all right? For me... It was Christmas of 1991, all right? Some of you guys remember that year very fondly, don't you? I was in the sixth grade, all right? Some of you guys are like, I wasn't even born yet. Shut up. Uh, Christmas 91, I was in the sixth grade, all right? And the thing that I wanted more than any other gift, probably, this is probably the thing I wanted more than anything I can remember, was a Nintendo, all right? Now, this Nintendo here, all right, not like the Wii U or Nintendo 64 or even a Super Nintendo, but the original Nintendo gaming console, all right, this little piece of heaven right here, that's what I wanted. It's, you know, this thing that we gave away a couple months ago and most of you had no idea what it was, right, you with me? So this is what it looks like, Nintendo, all right, and it changed my life. So in Christmas of 91, this is what I wanted, all right? And I mean, I wore mom and dad out. Would you please? Uh, they didn't usually spend a lot of money. There were five of us kids, and so we, it was like a $50 limit or something. And this thing costs over 100 bucks. And so I knew my odds were slim, but I was, I mean, I, I pushed for it. I'm like, come on, please, I'll do anything. I probably, if I'd have believed in Santa as a sixth grader, I probably would have worn Santa out too. But this was the thing that I wanted more than anything else. So Christmas morning gets here, Christmas 1991, we come rushing down the stairs, all of us kids, we start busting through the presents. I'm going through present after present after present, get through all of my presents, no Nintendo. I know, so sad. So I'm, I'm starting to get a little bit, a little bit upset and, and feel like, you know, this, this thing isn't going to happen. So, I, you know, I watch brothers, my sisters they all open their presents. My mom, my dad, they open theirs. We do our stockings. I mean, we get to the point where there is no Christmas left. Like, everything has been opened. And, we're, you know, it's that moment where you're standing around and you're like, all right, now what do we do? Do we go eat breakfast? Do we go back to bed? Do we play with our toys? What do we do? And so we're all at that moment. And my dad says, hey, actually, there's, there's one more present. And it's in the closet. And it's for Todd. And all of a sudden, my eyes got big. I'm like, this is it. And so I run over, you know, to the, to the closet, and I rip open the door, and there on the floor is a present. And I rip into it, and there it is. 
Super Nintendo, or not even Super Nintendo, the Nintendo, all right? The thing that I wanted, and I went screaming and yelling. I ran back across. I tackled my dad. He's holding a video camera. Somewhere we've got this home video of, you know, the camera going flying uh, up in the air. I mean, it was this, this incredible moment. And I probably, over that two-week Christmas break, I don't know that I showered. I don't think I left from in front of that TV the entire Christmas break just playing this Nintendo gaming console that I wanted so desperately. Like, that's what I'm talking about. That kind of a thing where you, you wanted it with everything that you've got. What is that gift that you wanted more than anything else? Now, maybe it's not, you didn't want the Nintendo like I did, uh, even though you would be much cooler if you did. Maybe that wasn't it. Maybe it was like some toy when you were a kid that was really special, or that was the hot you know, toy of that year or whatever. Um, maybe, it was, maybe it's the la- latest gadget. Maybe you wanted a new phone. Maybe it was just something, some kind of uh, electronic device or whatever that you said, man, I've, I've got to have this. I want this more than anything else. Maybe it wasn't anything like that. Maybe it wasn't a gift. Maybe, maybe what you wanted at Christmas more than anything else was maybe a little bit more personal. Maybe it impacted you to a different level. Maybe it wasn't, you know, a gift like that. Maybe, maybe you looked at your family, and one year you just said, man, I, more than anything else, I just want my family to stay together. I want my parents to stay together. I want peace in my house. Or, you know, maybe you, even right now, you're going through a, a rough time, or you're experiencing a lot of hurt in your life. Or maybe that year at Christmas, you were experiencing just some really difficult situations, and you said, man, more than anything else, I just, I don't want to experience this hurt and this pain anymore. Maybe what you would say, even right now tonight, you would say that what I want this year at Christmas more than anything else, I just, I'm desperate for God to show up in my life. I'm desperate for God to reveal himself. I'm desperate for God to do something about whatever the situation is, whatever it is that you're dealing with, whatever significant thing that you're going through right now. Maybe the thing that you feel like you want or even that you need most is a little bit of grace. If, uh, if you have your Bible tonight, I want you to open to John chapter 1. And, uh, and that's where we're going we're gonna to look over the next few minutes. In John chapter 1, we read about an incredible gift that was given to us. All right, And this gift was such an incredible gift that I think if, if most of us really understood how incredible it was how much we needed it, then it would be something that we would want more than anything else, not just at Christmas, but all throughout the year. So in John chapter 1, here's what it says in verse 14. And I'm using a little bit of a different translation. This is the New Century uh, Version. And I love the way that it words this, this passage. Here's what it says. It says, the word, which is Jesus, the word Jesus became a human and he lived among us. Jesus became a human and he lived among us. We saw his glory, the glory that belongs to the only son of the father. And he was full of grace and truth. John tells the truth about him and cries out saying, this is the one I told you about. The one who comes after me is greater than I am because he was living before me. Verse 16, because he was full of grace and truth, From him we all received one gift after another. The law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. 
No one has ever seen God, but God the only Son is very close to very close to the Father. And he has shown us what God is like. Man, I absolutely love this passage. I love the way that this, this version or this translation says this. It says, the word became a human and lived among us. That there was a, a gift that was given to us. That God left heaven and he came to live among us. He came to dwell with us. He came to be with us. And the reason he came to do that was because he wanted to give us something that we didn't deserve. What Jesus, what God wanted to do was give us himself. He wanted to come and live with us, to dwell among us, to be with us. Not to be distant, not to be far away, but to to leave that and to come and to be among us and with us. So, I love how this, this says it. The, it talks about how with, he was full of grace and truth. So the entrance of Emmanuel, all right? You guys know Emmanuel, which means God with us. The entrance of Emmanuel, or Jesus coming and being with us, is the entrance of grace. When Jesus shows up to live among us, he brings grace with him. He is grace. So with the entrance of Emmanuel comes the entrance of grace, the beginning of grace. Man, think about that. If we talked about the definition of grace being getting what we don't deserve. Man, think about what, what better thing could there be for us to receive, this thing that we could never deserve or never earn, than to have a holy God leave his divine residence and come and reside and live with sinful man. For God to give up where he was and to come and to dwell among us, to be with us. And that, that, that right there explains how powerful grace is. That Jesus came on the scene to live among us, and he is the essence of grace. That's where grace comes into the picture. How much that impacts us, how much that shows us a picture of what grace really is. And that's why we celebrate Christmas, right? Or at least that's supposed to be why we celebrate Christmas. The entrance of Emmanuel. God is with us. So if that's, what, if that's what Christmas is about, then the reality of grace should be all around us, right? I mean, Christmas should be a time, probably more than any other time, where you, you experience or you, you see the reality of grace all around us. And yet, is that, I mean, is that really true of what we see most of the time at Christmas? I mean, the, the truth is, we don't, you, grace isn't really a, very much a part of the current culture of Christmas, right? I mean, think about it. You've got Santa, all right, who has a naughty and a nice list. And he's judging all the kids in the world based on how good they are and how much they either deserve the presents that they get or they don't deserve the presents that they get or don't get, right? It's all based on do they deserve this or do they not? Have they earned the privilege of having some presents given to them? And now you've got elves that live in the house and they monitor everything now. They watch the kids and they make sure that, all right, are are you really going to be able to earn these presents that Santa wants to bring you? And we freak our kids out because we're like, hey, I'm going to tell Santa or I'm going to tell my elf and he's watching you and you better be on your best behavior 
Because if you're not, you're not going to get what Santa wants to bring to you. You're going to get what you deserve, which is nothing. Now, for the record, we have an elf, all right? So I'm not, I'm not bashing elf on a shelf. But that's what we do, right? And there's, there's no grace in that. We talked about that two, two or three weeks ago, about how it's not based on our performance, and we feel like so much of what we do is all about what we earn or what we deserve. And we get what we deserve or what we earn. And that's, but that's not what grace is. We go and we spend money that we don't have for people that we don't like to give them presents that they don't want or need. Right? And then we, you know, we deal with the craziness of traffic and the craziness of lines in, in department stores and the craziness of people at this time of year to give them these gifts. I mean, how many of you guys have, have been into Hiram over the last you know, week since Christmas has been going on? And how many of you guys have you know, been flipped off by some old lady who's on a mission to get all the presents that she needs to get for her grandkids? Right? I mean, that's, that's kind of the world that we live in. I mean, it's, it's, not, it's not grace-filled at all. It's stressful. It's crazy. It's insane. And everybody is fighting to get these presents or whatever and getting these gifts. And it's about parties. And I've got to buy this stuff. And I've got to make this stuff. And I've got to go to this place. And it's insane. And in a lot of ways, it's the opposite of what Christmas is really supposed to be about. But no matter how much we screw it up, no matter how much we make it about other things, the truth is Christmas is still about grace. Christmas is still about receiving what we don't deserve, about receiving a Savior, about Jesus coming and living, not only living with us, but giving up everything for us, about a Savior coming to take on our punishment for our sin and in turn giving us his righteousness that we could never deserve and never earn. And that's what it's about. That's what Christmas is supposed to be about, about God's grace. Now look back at verse 16 in John chapter 1. He says, Because he, Jesus, because he was full of grace and truth, from him we all received one gift after another. What this verse is saying is that Jesus, because he is filled with grace and truth, he gives us gift after gift. It's not just a, hey, here's a one-time thing. I love you. Don't forget. Here's here's your gift. It's a constant gift after gift. Or as the Greek talks about, it's grace upon grace. Where Jesus is constantly giving and pouring out his grace upon us. Not not based on what we deserve or earn. It's not just a one-time thing. He is giving it to us constantly. That's who Jesus was and what he came to bring was grace upon grace. To give us his forgiveness, to give us his love, to give us his power, his presence. To know, not just, not just know or read a verse or sing a song that says that God is with us, but to actually live that out. To believe in such a way or live in such a way that God is all around us, that God is present among us and with us. And with that comes every ounce of grace that he can pour out upon us. If you guys were with us last week, Brian, uh, Pastor Brian was here and he said, he, he said this quote at the beginning, he said, Grace says that no amount of sin can make God love me less, and no amount of goodness can make God love me more. That as much as we like to tell kids that it's about be on your best behavior and you're going to get what you deserve, 
That's not how grace is. It has nothing to do with whether or not we love him. It has, it's not about the amount of sin that we have. It's not going to cause God to love us any less. And no matter how much we do for God, it doesn't make God love us anymore. God simply loves us with every ounce that he has. Now, listen to me. This is where a, a very common question comes up. And it's probably a question that a lot of you guys have either thought about at this, over the course of the series. Maybe you think this way right now, or you've had this question. All right? And the question goes something like this. If God's grace covers all my sin, then why does it matter how I live? All right? Have you guys thought that way? You don't have to necessarily raise your hand. But that's a question that comes up. If, if, God, if God continues to forgive me, then why do I need to stop sinning? If God wants to pour out his forgiveness and his grace on me, and it's not based on what I do, then why don't I just continue to do whatever I want to do? This is, this is a question that anytime you talk about grace, this is probably the question that gets raised. And in fact, there are probably a lot of churches and pastors or whatever who, who simply don't teach about grace because of this kind of question. Because what a lot of people are, are concerned about or worried about is that people are going to abuse grace. They're going to look at grace and, and make that assumption. Well, then I can just do whatever I want to do. It doesn't matter you know, how I live or don't live. God's going to love me. God's going to forgive me. His forgiveness is always there. So why don't I just continue to do what I want to do and and I know that I can receive it when I need it? That's a question that so many of us have probably had, that all of us at one point or another, as as we really start to understand this, as we talk more about this, we ask that question. And maybe we think to ourselves, man, is it, if God's going to forgive me anyway, then I can continue to party, I can continue to sleep around, I can continue to lie or do this or that. I can continue to do whatever I want. In fact, it sounds like a a pretty good combination because I love to sin and God loves to forgive. So it sounds like it it works out pretty good for everybody. Now, believe it or not, as long as grace has been around, this question has also been around. For as long as grace has been taught, as long as grace has been experienced, as long as Jesus has been around, this question of abusing grace has also been around. And in Romans chapter 6, Paul actually addresses that specific question. Because in the early church, as they were starting to understand about the grace of Jesus and forgiveness and all that, that same question came came up. So here's what what Paul says in, in verse 1. Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace. And Paul says, of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Skipping down to verse 14, he says, Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. Paul's short answer is basically, no, you're dead to sin. 
If you come to a point where you put your faith and your trust in Jesus as Savior and you receive the forgiveness that you, that you um, have requested, that Jesus offers you, if you receive that, that grace and that forgiveness, you are no longer who you used to be. You are no longer in, in captivity, in bondage to sin. God has freed you from that. God has made you alive. You were dead in your sins, you were stuck there, but when you put your faith and trust in Jesus, God woke you up. And now you are no longer that person. You were dead to that old life. You were dead to that sin. So he says, look, sin is no longer your master, so why would you run back to it? Why would you continue to live in that thing that Jesus gave up his life to free you from? If you were dead and God woke you up, then why would you go back to to living dead again? If you were held in captivity and bondage, if you were enslaved and God freed you, why would you go back to that life of slavery? No one in their right mind, if they understood what, what was happening, would actually choose to be dead if they were made alive or to be enslaved if they were made free. And what Paul is saying here is, look, God has given up his life for you. And he came to free you from that sin. So why would you go back to it? See, when we look at grace as a freedom to continue to sin, we really don't understand what grace actually is at all. Because in all reality, grace when we really fully understand it, ought to have the opposite effect. Rather than us looking at that as a license to sin or freedom to continue to do what we want, when we understand the the weight and the impact and what Jesus has done for us in light of how little we deserve, then it actually causes us to run towards God. See, as we understand grace, we don't want to run away from God and towards sin we actually want to run away from sin and towards God. If we really fully understand the impact and, and what grace has come to do for us, then it causes us to run to God, not away from him. To run away from sin, not towards it. See, grace actually, the purpose of grace is to change us. Grace not only meets us where we are, which is what is so incredible for us to know that regardless of where we're at, regardless of the sin that we hold, regardless of what's going on, grace meets us at that point. Wherever that is, no matter how far away from God we are, grace meets us there. But it doesn't leave us there. The goal for grace is to meet us there, but also to take us someplace else, to make us something much different. See, the whole idea of Emmanuel, God coming to be with us, God didn't leave heaven and come to be with us so that he continued to walk around as we live in sin and bondage. If that was the reason why Jesus came, then it was a complete waste of time because it didn't change anything. It's just the fact that he's with us as we continue to live enslaved to sin. 
But what Jesus came to do, Emmanuel, God with us, is he came to free us. He came to dwell among us, to live with us, and to free us so that we could be somebody different. See, the goal for grace is transformation. It's life change. To meet us where we are, but to push us and to take us somewhere that we've never been. But there's other people who try to restrict grace, right? Who are concerned about us taking advantage of God's grace. Now, let me be... Let me be very clear for you. Please don't, don't check out on me or you know, talk to anybody else. Listen to me. God's grace was meant to be taken advantage of. In fact, I, I challenge for all of us, take advantage of God's grace. God's grace was given to us for our advantage. It was given to us to benefit us, to improve our life, to help us. God's grace was meant for our advantage. It was given to us to help us when we need it most, which is every day. So take advantage of God's grace, but don't take it for granted. Take advantage of God's grace. It benefits us. It's an incredible thing, but make sure that you don't take it for granted. Don't waste it. Don't squander it. Cherish it. When there's verses that talk about how how we've been bought with a price. It cost God his life. Jesus left heaven and gave up his life for us so that we could experience grace, so that we could take advantage of grace. So it's something, it's that gift that we've been given that is, is more incredible, more important than anything we could ever receive. So the challenge for us is to cherish it, to take advantage of it, to treat it as a precious thing. But don't take for granted. Take it for granted. It costs God his life. So don't live in such a way that makes a mockery of all the incredible things that Jesus has done for us. Don't live our lives in such a way that we treat God's grace as if we could take it or leave it. As if we could do with it or without it that it doesn't really impact our life, or that we can continue to live in sin. It's given to us as a precious gift for our advantage, but not for us to take for granted. The truth is, grace offers us more than sin ever could. In fact, if you want to write this down in your notes, here's, here's the main point for us tonight. Grace is a gift that aims to save, while sin is a curse that aims to enslave. Grace is a gift that aims to save all sin, is a curse that aims to enslave. It actually sounds a whole lot better when you put a beat behind it. And you're like, we'll get Miles up here to do it for us. But that's it. I mean, the difference between what grace is and what sin is, and why is it when we understand the difference between the two, why is it that we would continue to run back to that? Why is it that we continue to look at grace and go, man, that, that's, that's amazing, that's incredible, so why don't I just continue to do what I want to do? And God's going, no, you're missing the point. Look, I've, I've poured out my grace upon you. I've given you gift after gift, grace upon grace. I've given up my life for you, and it has no, 
no bearing on who you are or what you've done or what mistakes you've made or how much you've earned it or not earned it. I simply give it to you. And there are no strings attached. But what I want for you, the the goal is for this to transform your life. To free you from the bondage of sin. To to experience a, a life of freedom and hope rather than a life of slavery and bondage. That's what Jesus has come to do. Let me ask you this question as, as we close. Do you really believe that God is with you? I mean, does John chapter 1, you know, when we read verses about, you know, the word became flesh, he dwelt among us. We talk about Emmanuel, meaning God with us. God is with us, but do you really believe that? I mean, deep down in your soul, with everything that you've got, do you really believe it? Listen to me. Without any more talking, you know, whatever, if you don't remember anything else I said tonight, do you really believe that God is with you? This whole idea of Emmanuel, God with us, is not just some cool idea that some man made up a couple thousand years ago, and we sing Christmas songs about it now, and we have Christmas Eve services and things like that. This is a legitimate truth that completely transforms everything. It changes everything. It changes everything about who you are. It has the potential to change every single area of your life. And I, I know that there are some of you guys who, you, maybe you, you walked in tonight and you're like, man, I, I believe kind of in the concept of God or I believe that God's out there. I believe God loves me to a certain extent, but I don't know how much it has been, become personal to me. And the way that you determine that is, do you, do you really believe that God is with you? Do you legitimately believe that God right now, tonight, is with you? Not out there somewhere, not some cosmic force that's kind of around, but is here, is, is for you, is with you. I love in Romans chapter 5, here's what what the message version says. It says, but sin didn't and doesn't have a chance in competition with the aggressive forgiveness that we call grace. When it's sin versus grace, grace wins hands down. All sin can do is threaten us with death, but that's the end of it. Grace, because God is putting everything together again through the Messiah, God with us. He invites us into life, a life that goes on and on and on, a world without end. Maybe for for so many of us in the room tonight, 
the reason why that, that whole idea hasn't become personal to us is because we've never come to a point where we've confessed our sin to God. Where we've never understood the reality that, that God is here among us. That God has come not just to free everybody else, but to free me. To offer me hope, to offer me forgiveness, to offer me what it says in this passage. To, to lead me into life. what this season is all about is to allow that to become personal for us. God is with us. God has come and he has poured out on his grace upon us. And in order for us to receive that, in order for us to experience that reality of God with us and God in us and God for us, the only step that we have to take is to put our faith and trust in Jesus as Savior. And maybe the reason why for, for some of you guys, you come in every week or you sing songs and it just doesn't seem, it, there seems to be a disconnect. It doesn't hit your heart. It's just all up here where it doesn't really, it doesn't really impact you personally. It doesn't feel personally. It's because you haven't come to a point where you've put your faith and trust in Jesus and allowed God to come and to be with you and in you. And I can't think of a better time as we celebrate Christmas and the reason why Jesus came in the first place. Then for that to be the time where you put your faith and trust in Jesus and experience the personal aspect of what it means like to know God, to know Jesus, not to depend on me or your other friends or leaders or even mom and dad who experience that, but for it to be personal for you and for you to begin to walk and live in this grace of that God desires for you to live in every single day. It's no longer about your performance. It's about what God has done for you and what God wants to freely give to you to free you from sin so that he can lead you into life. If you guys bow your heads and close your eyes. nobody looking around, if you would, you would say, hey, tonight, I want that to be personal for me. I want to experience God with me, God for me, God living in me. And you would say, I've never come to a place where I've, I've put my faith and trust in Jesus. I've never, I've never confessed my sin to him and, and understood that what he did on the cross for me is enough to, to forgive me. Tonight, I want to do that, and I want to experience what it means to know God personally, to experience the grace of God with me. If you would just raise your hand and say, hey, that's me tonight. I want to put my faith and trust in Jesus tonight. If you just slip your hand up with no one looking around. Never put my faith and trust in Jesus. Never confess my sin to him and, and receive the forgiveness that he offers you say, tonight, I want to do that. I want to experience the full weight and the full measure of God being with me and living in me. Just slip your hand up if that's you. If your hand's raised in the air with no one looking around, just this simple thing of you just talking to God and communicating that to God. 
And it could be a simple thing where you just say something like this. God, I confess my sin to you. I understand that there is nothing that I could do that could ever earn your forgiveness, earn your love, earn heaven. My sins condemn me. And I confess that I need you. And I want the forgiveness that you offer me through the cross. I want to put my faith and trust in you. I want to know you personally. I want you to come and live with me and be in me. To be Emmanuel in my life. Would you cleanse me, forgive me. And for the rest of us, may the lights and the presence and the singing and the parties and all of the stuff that we do, may it be a constant reminder of God's grace. As we open up whatever gifts we get, whatever is given to us, may it be in just a small way a reminder of, of the greatest gift that God has given to us gift that we do not deserve, what God pours out on us. A reminder of God's grace, that God is with us, that grace is with us. God, we love you. We thank you for who you are. And we thank you for the students who were bold enough to say, I want to put my faith and trust in you as Savior. God, I pray for all of us that we would really understand the reality, and not just understand it from a a head knowledge standpoint, but actually experience it, actually live it out. God, may we no longer look at grace as as the freedom to sin, or because you're going to forgive us anyway, we'll just continue to do what we want to do. But God, may it cause us to fall madly in love with you, so we understand how little we deserve and how much you give. God, may you transform us, may you make us more like you. We love you. Praise you in Jesus' name.